Well, because it is the Sunday before Christmas, we're going to be taking a break from our series in 1 Samuel, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, as you guys can see on the screen. I really hope you guys are taking notes today, uh, excited for today's message of, listen, shh, 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 of why Joseph. Uh, who was here last week? Raise your hands. All right, sweet. So we are in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and do you guys remember when we looked at David's origin story? Right, it, it was kind of the first time that David comes on the scene. Well, now we're looking at Jesus's, as in the human flesh, uh, in his skin, origin story. Okay, there are two out of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, that give the account of the Christmas story. Give me, someone give me one of the Gospels that the Christmas story is recorded in. Sawyer, just one. Matthew, Matthew that was really easy. Okay, who, who's got the second one? Uh, Nicole. Luke. Yes, Matthew and Luke. So you actually won't see a very descriptive uh, Christmas story, Jesus is born, in Mark or John. Now, does anyone know which one is more about Mary? Luke or Matthew? Luke, right? Okay. And so which one is more about Joseph? Matthew. And what are we going to be looking at today? Matthew. Okay. So Matthew gives, uh, Matthew 1 gives us a more condensed version of the Christmas story compared to Luke. It gives the side of Joseph instead of Mary. Usually, uh, at least for me growing up, when my dad would break out the Bible uh, on that Christmas morning, uh, we would read from Luke because it's a little more detailed. It's got some more details regarding the specifics, right? The shepherds and different things that took place right after Jesus was born and right before. Well, Matthew, one is a little bit of a condensed version, and it talks about Joseph. So this is how I kind of want you to remember that, okay? That Matthew talks about Joseph's perspective. Luke talks about Mary's perspective. I want you to remember it like this, okay? Uh, I want you to remember how men and how women tell stories. If you don't know, typically, not for everyone, men and women tell stories very differently, okay? If you ask me, hey, tell me what happened yesterday, I'm gonna, sit, I'm gonna give you about three details, right? This is what happened, it was good. But my wife, if you ask my wife, hey, what happened yesterday? You better have five minutes, okay? Because she's gonna give the details. Or if she asks me for a story, right? So usually women add more details. So because Luke is more about Mary, you can remember it that way, there's some more details. Uh, for Matthew, what we're gonna look at today, it's kinda, hey, Jesus was born, okay? And that's what we're gonna be looking at today. Now, a couple of Wednesdays ago, we looked at the question of why Mary. We looked at Luke chapter 2, and we asked the question of all the women, women in Israel at that time, of all the girls, why this one, right? And we saw that there were some natural reasons. She had to be, first of all, a woman. Uh, she had to be a virgin, all those different qualifications. But we also saw with Mary some more spiritual reasons, right? We, we looked at on that Wednesday, a couple Wednesdays ago, we looked at how Mary had this incredible faith and this amazing worship of the Lord. Guys, I want you to think today about how big of responsibility was given to Mary and Joseph. I want you to think about having to care for the son of the living God. I wonder when he was a baby and they realized who he was, right? Because they had literal angels speak to them about who this baby was going to be, right? And I want you to think about maybe when they were a baby, 
Was there times when, you know, they would, they would hold him so carefully, like, I don't want to break the son of God, right? Don't drop him. Don't drop him. No, you can't touch my baby. He's, he's kind of really important, right? Uh, what, what were the perspectives? Or, or imagine what we're going to look at next week when we look at when Jesus was 12 and they lost him. I mean, they're on their way back up to Nazareth and they're like, oh my gosh, God gave us one job, one job to take care of Jesus, right? This was a massive responsibility, yet God chose Mary and God chose Joseph. Of all the men, though, why him? Well, in Scripture, we really don't have too much information given to us about Joseph. We know that he was a humble carpenter, and we know really some of the details of his character from what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at today what made him a candidate for such serious responsibility and blessing from the Lord. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 and see why was Joseph chosen for the task at hand. So let's pray. Lord, we come before you, and as we approach your word, Lord, we don't want to do it without, uh, without reverence towards you. We don't want to come to it like we would uh, a novel. Lord, that we know that this is the written word of God. This is your message to us. And Lord, as this is the Sunday before Christmas and we get to look at Jesus and, and, and how you brought him into the world and, and the details surrounding his birth, Lord, we pray that you would use your word to speak to us. Lord, we, we know that you are the infinite God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, yet you came to us in the form of a baby. Lord, that you were born so that you could die. And today, Lord, we pray that those truths of scripture would uh, penetrate our heart, that we would know you more today, and we would be more like you. And we all said in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let me take a drink of water real quick. You guys got me excited this morning. All right, so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, but we're not going to look at the whole thing. Now, I don't know if you've ever taken the time to read the gospel account of Matthew and, and, and Luke of the Christmas story, but what you will find in both accounts are two genealogies, okay? And you're like, what the heck is that word? Well, you can think about it as the family tree, okay? The bulk of Matthew chapter one is actually a list of names, uh, the family tree, and, and uh, there's no pun intended in that, okay? A genealogy. A genealogy is uh, a lineage. It's a family line. It's a family history. Do you guys know about ancestry.com? Okay, right? You can get the little swab and you can kind of figure out where you're from. Uh, some of those, be careful. But anyway, uh, th those can kind of tell you, all right, you're from this region, right? You're from this part of the world. But they can't tell you you're like actual ancestors. A genealogy, if it is accurate, is actually better than even Ancestry.com. And what we find here in Matthew chapter 1, the beginning of the New Testament is a list of names. And if you're like me, reading a list of names can be a little difficult. And you might ask yourself at times in the Bible, why the heck is this list of names here? This is crazy. Just give me to Jesus in the Bible and the Christmas story. But this family tree that's recorded, this genealogy, this background, this history of jo uh, Jesus's family is extremely important. So remember how I told you that Matthew is about Joseph, right? And Luke is about Mary. Well, in Matthew 1, guess Matthew's chapter 1, guess whose genealogy we have here? 
it's, it's through the line of Joseph, okay? It's through the line of Joseph. And the gospel of Matthew, if you don't know, uh, each gospel seeks to represent Jesus as a specific uh, something. So for the gospel of Matthew, from chapter 1 to chapter 28, Matthew seeks to present Jesus as a king, as a Messiah. And he seeks to show the connection between Joseph, who is, right, Jesus' dad, not dad. Uh, and, and he seeks to show this connection to Abraham and David. What Matthew wants to do, and why these list of names is recorded for us here, is to establish his to establish Jesus's credential as king, right? You see, royalty always depends upon one's family history. I mean, not anyone could just be a king of a country or a king of uh, of a nation. You see, it had to come from one's family heritage. And what Matthew seeks to establish here in these first 17 verses of the gospel, before he gets into the Christmas story, he seeks to show you that Jesus has his credentials, that he has this family history. But you see, Luke's genealogy, it's a little bit different. You can find it in Luke chapter 3, another list of names. But this is through Mary's line, her family history. And the gospel of Luke, different than Matthew, seeks to show Jesus' humanity. Okay, Matthew is to show Jesus as king. And Luke seeks to show Jesus as an actual human. That's why... Uh, In Luke's genealogy, it goes all the way back to Adam, which was the first human, right? Uh, Unlike Matthew, it just simply goes back to Abraham. Okay, so I want you to think about it in this way. Joseph's genealogy, the one we have in Matthew, shows us that Jesus had the legal right to become, to be the Messiah, okay? To be the Christ, to fulfill that purpose, Okay, but Mary's genealogy shows that Jesus had the biological right to the throne. They're, they're different and they show two important aspects. So I want you guys to look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Okay? It says this, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And from now, from verse 2 all the way to 17, it begins to list the names in between Abraham all the way to Jesus. And there's two names that are significant. That's why they're repeated. They're first found in verse one, and then again in the list of names. And so someone give me the the first name that's mentioned in verse one. Yeah. Abraham, right? Father Abraham. Who's the second? David, King David. So we have Father Abraham and King David. Matthew wants to point your attention from all the names. These are the two important ones, okay? We know for sure that Jesus was a descendant from Abraham and David, but, but why is this significant? Why does it matter about Abraham and David? Well, uh, it's because the promises of the Messiah came through these two people, okay? That God had specifically promised Abraham, the Messiah will come through your line. He specifically promised David, hey, the Messiah is going to come through your line. You can write down uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, and this is God speaking to Abraham. He says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Among many other scriptures, this was understood to be the promise of the Messiah. How, how through 
Abraham's descendants, was the whole world going to get a blessing from God? Well, it's because the Messiah would come through his family tree, from his family history. So we see Father Abraham, but then also specifically mentioned is King David. I want you to write down Psalm chapter 89, verses 3 through 4. It says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant who? My servant who? David, your seed, he says, I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. You see, we see here this among many other passages. So many promises were given to David. So remember, the Bible describes that when Jesus was to be born, the Messiah, the Christ, the the sent Savior into the world, the people, the Jewish people, Israel, the Israelites, they were to know it. Because they had the promises that they were to wait for this sent savior and the promises came through them. And so if anyone was going to claim to be the Messiah, the number one question in the Jewish mind would be, do they have family relations to Abraham and David? Because they knew from scripture that the Messiah, the sent savior had to be connected. You see, you might say, well, why are we looking at these names? This this list of names in the family tree, who cares about Jesus' genealogy and his family history? You do. Why? Because this shows us that all of this was planned in advance. The story and plan of redemption started, the Bible says, before the creation of the world. You see, God knew that there would be a separation between man and God. And so that's why from the very beginning, God had it planned out to send a savior, to send a redeemer. You see, God did this 2,000 years ago in an undeniable way. He wanted to make sure that no skeptic would be able to say, well, Jesus, was he really the Messiah? Was he really the one that God sent? He covered every basis. And he had this plan. You see, one of, the, one of the ways is that he guaranteed who the Messiah would be related to. And what I want you to understand today is that he did it in advance. I want you to write down Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. This tells us something awesome about our God. He says this, remember the former things of old. He says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. You might say, well, why is this list of names included in the Bible with the Christmas story? It's because God wants you to understand that he had this all planned out. That when Jesus came, it was in the perfect time and the perfect way. You know, I want to encourage you. We're not going to read through all these lists of names, but one of your pieces of of homework this week, one of the the things I want to encourage you to do with your free time is you read through the Christmas story on your own. Maybe that's something you've never done. You've heard it taught in church for the last 12, 13 years of your life. You've, You've heard your parents read it on Christmas morning to you. But this week before Christmas, why don't you crack open your Bible? And why don't you look through the story for yourself? Because God speaks through his word. And I want to encourage you, don't just rush past all the names. When you open to Matthew and you begin to read, it, it will be easy to just be like, oh, okay, names, 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 Jesus. All right, got it. But I want you to go through them. 
Because as you go through them, I believe there will be some names that you recognize. Some names like Ruth and Boaz. Some names like David and, and these different people. And, and they're in there for a reason and we should give attention. And so again, you, you might say, well, who really cares? I, I, I don't really care about the names. I want you to write this down, okay? What we're looking at today, what we're celebrating this week is I want you to realize that these were real people and this really happened. This is not something that's just a, a nice story and it just creates a good holiday time. No, guys, this really happened. That as we look at Joseph today specifically, and of course, of course Jesus, that these were real people. Here is the proof. These names are part of the evidence. If you were to put the Christmas story on trial, you could, you, uh, you could put up this evidence against it and it would stand to be true. You see, this genealogy, this family history, it's not just a made up list of, of names. It's historically accurate. Each and every name is where it should be. And when you look at the grand scope of this, it is awesome. It, it makes scholars and, and people even outside of the Bible who don't even believe in God uh, that they have no argument against it. It shows and, and creates evidence for the, the accuracy of the Bible. You see, what, something I really want you guys to understand and remember is that our faith is founded upon fact. Okay? It is historical. It, it is trustworthy that these were real people and this really happened. And so here we have in the first 17 verses the family tree through Joseph. Okay, Joseph was at, at least a candidate because of his family, okay, because of who he came from. The, and, and he was a candidate to be the, right, the, the, the father of Jesus or one who would uh, take care of him in that fatherly role, the one who God had planned to enter history to be that sent savior. But I think Joseph was not only picked because he fit the bill because of his bloodline and because he could claim relation to Abraham and David. But I think there are many more reasons. And I want to give you two today as we dive into the second part of Matthew chapter one, okay? And the first one I want you to note down, which we'll find in verses 18 and 19. It wasn't just because Joseph was related to Abraham and David, but I believe God chose Joseph for this huge responsibility, this task, because Joseph was just. Do you guys still have your Bibles open? I can't hear you guys. Do you guys still have your Bibles open? Word. All right. Check out verse 18. And we'll just read verse 18 and 19 and kind of work our way through it. All right. So it says this, starting in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. You see, Matthew now moves from the family tree to the story of Jesus' birth and the surrounding events that kind of were taking place. And what we're going to see within these verses is an emphasis on Joseph, right? If we were in Luke, there'd be more of an emphasis 
on Mary and, and kind of her perspective of things. But for here, what we see in these verses is a real emphasis from Joseph's perspective. How did this all go down? And What happened with Joseph specifically? Well, verse 18, you can note it down. We see Joseph's situation, okay? That's very clear. Verse 18 shows us the situation, and and it's this, that this guy Joseph is betrothed or engaged to Mary. But what I want you to understand about this word betrothal, which is uh, something we don't really uh, use anymore, it's not just an engagement but it's actually a step above engagement. It's even a further commitment where if one wanted to break off the betrothal, they would even have to file paperwork and and really even a divorce certificate. That it was was almost like the, the commitment was that they were married, they just weren't living together yet. But the commitment was very strong and and was there. And the Bible says this was before, look at verse 18, it was before they came together. Hey, which means they weren't sleeping together. I think you know what that means, all right? They, they had not come together yet. Uh, she, the Bible says that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, okay? So they weren't, they had not come together, yet she was pregnant, uh, but it was a supernatural thing. It, she was not pregnant in the normal way. I think you guys catch my drift, okay? But I want you to think about, guys, this is a predicament. You know what a predicament is? It's a situation, okay? This is a tight spot for Joseph. So what do they do? This was no light thing. I mean, this was a big deal. I want you to think about it, okay? Joseph is engaged to this, to this girl, Mary. They have not come together, but she's pregnant, okay? That's a situation. Yeah, and she's young. It's, it is a definite tight spot. So, so what does Joseph do? Well, according to Luke chapter one, verse 56, you can note it down, look at it later. After Mary had that encounter with the angel, right? This is before what we're reading right now. She has the encounter with the angel. The angel says, hey, you're gonna bear a son. His name's gonna be Jesus. He's gonna be kind of the savior of the world. um, And this is how it's gonna work. Well, the Bible says that after Mary had received that revelation from the angel, that right away she goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house and stays there for three months. And so the Bible says after three months of her being pregnant, okay, that's her first trimester, she comes back uh, to Nazareth and sees the one to whom she's engaged to, Joseph. And obviously there was some kind of interaction. Joseph found out she's pregnant. And so what do you think is going through Joseph's mind? Yeah, is there another dude? What, what? Hey, you were, you were gone for three months. What happened? Come on, right? You got to think about what was going through his mind. And that's a reasonable thing. It was a reasonable thing for Joseph to have these kind of thoughts of like, okay, so wait, we need to put this on pause. We need to figure this out. And that's where we see Joseph's reaction come in, okay? We saw his situation, verse 18, But then in verse 19, we see his immediate reaction. He gets news, she's pregnant. Well, the Bible says here in verse 19 that he was a just man and not wanting to make her a public example wasn't minded to put her away secretly. Now, I want you to, I want to focus on what what does it mean that Joseph was a just man? Well, I want you to notice that it says that he being a just man, meaning that this was past tense, that before God had ever chosen him 
to be the one to come together with Mary and raise the Son of God, the sent Savior, that he was already just. Because he was just, this dictated his actions, that he was just, and so he acted justly. Okay, I know this might sound confusing, but hang on with me for just a minute. You see, it's not that he acted in a just way and that made him just. It's that he was just, so he did the just thing. You're like, you're saying just a whole lot. Yes, I am. Okay, the word just, it means this. It means to be morally good. You can write this down if you're not taking notes. To be morally good, to be righteous and upright. This is a quality that is found in the New Testament that you and I as believers that we should be. But we find this word in kind of two different ways, okay? As believers, number one, it's what happens when we are saved, okay? When you and I, when we, ha- when we put our faith in Jesus, the Bible says that we are now justified in God. That it, it, it is that we are made right with him, okay? And that's that word justification. It's one of those big Bible words, but it, it is a longer version of the word just. It's the idea that when you and I come to Jesus for that first time, then it's just as if we never sinned, that we become right with God. We have that forgiveness of sins. But then after, and this is the just that is being talked about, is living or doing, acting justly. And that's the result of once you are saved, now the life that you live, it comes out of being justified with God. And now your life should involve you acting justly. Let me put it to you like this. I really like how this guy, he's an author, Gene Getz. He says this, acting just involves making the right decision at the right moment. You should write that down if you you didn't catch a drift. This is a, a great quote because it really, I think, exemplifies, it gives an example to us of what this looks like. That acting just is making the right decision at the right moment. It's doing the right thing at the right time. Now think again about this interesting predicament that Joseph found himself in. He's, in, he's betrothed, not legally married, and this future wife of his that he is to marry, that she is pregnant and it is not his child. It was not his doing. So what does Joseph do? Well, it says, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. You see, what I want you to understand about about what he did was he wasn't doing this to protect himself, but what he was doing was to protect the public disgrace, embarrassment, and most likely even death for Mary according to the law. You see, because she had a child right? And it would appear that she did what was wrong, that Joseph had the right to take her to court, to, to, to kind of make this an ugly separation. And it would have brought potential death upon her because of, according to the law back then, it would have brought upon embarrassment and shame. You see, Joseph had the right to do this, to try her for for what appeared to be her sin. Yet the Bible says, and what I want you to to get is that Joseph was just, but he also, he minded. I want you to look at verse 19 again. 
The Bible says that he minded. What, what does that mean? Well, that Joseph not only thought about himself and how this would affect him, but he thought about Mary and how it would affect her. You can note it down. Minded means this. The fact that Joseph was minded, it means that he had intentional thought about someone or something. And that was Mary. That he could have made this a big deal. He could have made this really bad and ugly for Mary. But the Bible says that he was a just man, that though he had the right to, we see in hindsight that Joseph made the right decision at the right moment. You see, being a just man or woman is doing the right thing at the right time. And the right thing is always to be minded about others. It is to care for others. So Joseph, not wanting to make her this public example, but rather he, he was going to begin the process of breaking off this engagement, this betrothal, uh, more quietly, secretly. And so for you and I, as we look at just these two verses about Joseph, how do you and I match up? Would you be described as someone who is just? Do we act justly? Do we do the right thing at the right moment? Are we minded about other people and how uh, our actions might affect them? You see, Joseph was. And so you might say, well, why Joseph? Out of all the men of Israel that God could have picked, why this man? It's because Joseph was a just man. God knew that he would do the right thing at the right time. You see, if God had chosen a different man, things could have turned out a lot different that he could have, his reaction could have been hasty. It could have been quick and out of anger. But you see, Joseph was just. Clearly, this quality about Joseph, this characteristic we see was a result of his prior relationship with Jesus. And so why Joseph? Well, he was just. The second though, you can note it down, Joseph was obedient. And we see this in verses it shouldn't say 18 and 19. It should say 20 through 25, okay? So Joseph was not just just, but Joseph was obedient. We're gonna now read verses 20 through 25. You guys good? Yes? All right. Verse 20. The Bible says, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated God with us. Verse 24, then Joseph being aroused from sleep did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Now I want you to, to point your attention to verse 20. It says right after the situation kind of happens, he has this initial reaction. The Bible says in verse 20, it says, but while he thought about these things, that could be an easy verse to kind of skip over. But I want you to think about it. 
but while he thought about these things. You see, he had the thoughts of, of what am I going to do? He went to sleep that night thinking, how did this happen? A Mary of all people, I know that she loves God. What is going on? And he, and he was thinking about the situation. You see, the Bible describes to us that Joseph was a thinker. Everyone say thinker. He, Joseph was a thinker. And guess who else was, was a thinker? The Bible describes to us that Mary was a thinker. Three different times in the book of Luke, it's described for us that Mary hid these things in her heart. Or the Bible says that she treasured these things in her heart. That as the story unfolded, as she gave birth to Jesus, she would see certain situations. And the Bible says that she kept these things in her heart and pondered them. I want you to write down that God meets us in our thinking. That maybe for you, as, as you lay your head down on your pillow and you think about the situation that you find yourself in, you think about your initial reaction. I believe it is in those times that if we are tuned to the voice of God, that God desires to speak to us. That God, I believe, loves to meet us in our thinking, but is he welcomed? Well, that night, as Joseph's face hits the pillow, He's thinking of these things as he falls asleep. And during this night's sleep, Joseph dreams. You guys ever have dreams? Raise your hand if you're like, I have dreams every night. Wow. Raise your hand if you're like, I can't remember the last time I had a dream. Raise your hand if you've, I've never dreamed in my life that you remember. Yeah, okay. I rarely have dreams. But anyway, Joseph had a dream. But this was not just, you know, a dream about, uh, you know, what he wanted for, for his birthday. This wasn't like a dream about, you know, something scary. The Bible describes that God sends an angel, God sends an angel to speak to Joseph in his dream. Wouldn't that be crazy? Sometimes we just can pass over portions of scripture and you're like, oh yeah, God sent an angel to like talk to Joseph in his dream. And and it's so quick. Guys, God was like, hey, Gabriel, Joseph, yeah, I don't want you to go and speak to him directly. Go in his dream. You're like, what? That's crazy. And in this dream, I want you to note down, it was for two purposes. Why did Gabriel come to him? Well, it was for number one, instruction, and number two, assurance. You see, God dispatched this angel to go to Joseph in his dream because he wanted to give him instruction, but he also wanted to give him assurance. It means that he wanted to give him confidence, okay? And I wanted to show you this in in kind of a, hopefully a fun way and a way for your learning. Okay, there's three ways, three instructions that Joseph was given, okay? You guys taking notes? Should we just just stop right now? Are you guys good? You You guys wanna keep going? Okay, instruction number one, he says, do not be afraid, right? Right away, this angel shows up in his dream, He sees the angel in his dream, and the angel says right away, do not be afraid. You see, I believe this shows us that for Joseph, as he laid his head down on the pillow that night, there was some fear involved in Joseph's thinking regarding this situation. Do you guys ever have certain things that you're fearful of? It can happen a lot, especially for some reason, I just feel like, raise your hand if you like have a hard time going to sleep. I know I asked that a few few weeks ago. Raise your hand, keep your hand raised if you have a hard time going to sleep because your mind is constantly like thinking and racing. Yeah. 
And I think oftentimes we can struggle with, with those certain fears, right? We're thinking about that day or we're thinking about the next day. Well, for him, there, there was some fear. Fear of maybe handling the situation correctly. Fear about how his family or his friends would perceive that his wife was pregnant, but they weren't married yet, right? His future wife. The second instruction, though, was this. He says, take to you, marry your wife. These are pretty specific things, right? It's not just like, oh, love the Lord. It's like, don't be afraid, because I see that you're fearful. We're, we're, Joseph, we, you know, God and I, we're in heaven, and we're watching what you were thinking. Now I'm here to tell you, don't be afraid. The second thing, he says, take to marry your wife. He says, marry, 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 marry. Do it, Joseph, put that ring on her finger, okay? Don't be afraid. What's going on is not bad. She didn't cheat on you. She didn't mess with you, okay? She was just hanging out with her cousin Elizabeth, all right? She's back now, and you can marry her. The third thing I want you to note down is that he, the third instruction, he, he gave the name of the baby. He said, you shall call his name Jesus. You see, the angel shares with Joseph what the name of the baby was to be. If you're familiar with John the Baptist's birth, which in Luke comes right before this, you can read about it, that it was tradition that the father would be the one eight days after the baby was born, and the father would be the one to name the baby, and almost always the baby would be named the same name as the father in some way. And so for John the Baptist, when Zacharias named him John, people were tripping out. They're like, you don't even have a grandpa named John. Like, what's, what's going on? Well, similar with this, this was something out of the ordinary. He said, you're not going to name him Joseph. You're going to name him Jesus. And so he gives him these three instructions, but he also gives him assurance. And I want you to be thinking, okay, because there's great parallels and and application for how God speaks to you and I. I think God so often he'll give give us specific, direct instruction, short, but direct. But what I love about God is he doesn't just tell us what to do. He's not just like, do this, do that. He gives us assurance. He gives us confidence. And how does he do that for Joseph? Well, the first thing he says, it is of the Holy Spirit. That what I'm speaking to you, what, what the situation that is going on in your life, Joseph, is of the Holy Spirit. What he is communicating with him, he's saying, I'm in this, Joseph. I am in this. This is of God. This is of me. I am working in this. And he assures him in that way. The second thing, he says, he will save his people from their sins. He gives him, what I want you guys to notice, the purpose of what's going on. You see, one of the things that can bring you and I the most comfort and assurance in difficult situations is when you and I can see the purpose behind something, right? When, when you start to see the purpose behind the work that you're putting in or what you're doing, you see, the angel is assuring Joseph that what is going on, what God is doing in the situation that God is gonna be using it. There's a very specific and grand purpose. And the third thing I want you to note down is that this was spoken by the Lord. You see, the angel brings Joseph the reassurance to him by bringing him scripture. He shows him 
that this was God's huge plan, right? He quotes that verse in Isaiah about the virgin, that no doubt for Joseph in this moment, he knew that verse. And it, start, it started to click that God was using him and Mary to do an amazing task and to have a huge responsibility. Now, most of us, we, we probably tonight, we probably won't have an angel showing up in our dreams, okay? If you do, you should let me know because I'd like to know. It'd be pretty cool. Uh, he's probably not gonna give us a direct word from the Lord, right? Thus saith the Lord. But to think that you and I, we have something better than an angel in our dreams. Did you know that? You and I have something better than an angel in our dreams. We have God in us. Before I lose you, you're like, oh yeah, God is in us. No, God is in you. The Holy Spirit who came upon Mary and did that miraculous work in her and, and created this baby Jesus in the womb of Mary, that same Holy Spirit and all that power, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, the Bible says that he is in you. And he's not there just to hang out, okay? He's in there to give you instruction. He's in there to give you assurance. You see, he instructs us, I believe for you, for you and I, God instructs us not to be afraid. He even, yes, is willing to give specific instruction into the current situations of our life. You guys hearing me today? That God gives us, he, and, he, and he always brings us back to Jesus. That the Holy Spirit assures us that God is in the, the certain uh, things that, that we are unsure assure of, that God is certain of. He brings us back to his purpose and his scripture. This is the Holy Spirit's purpose in our life. I want you to think about, when you think about Christmas this week, you think about the angels appearing, you and I have something more beneficial. Because, right, for Joseph, he saw an angel once in his life. But what about the next day? What about the day after that? See, you and I have daily, minute by minute, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want you guys to remember that tonight when you lay your head down on that pillow, maybe you get to sleep so quick that you don't even have time to think. But for those of you that might be thinking, you're thinking over your day, thinking over the next day, maybe there's something that's difficult going on, maybe there's a fear, maybe there's just some depression, some anxiety, I want you to remind yourself that God is literally with you. That's not like a spiritual, oh, God be with you, brother. Okay, that, no, no, God is in you. And he's there to guide you and to remind you. And that is an awesome, awesome thing. Finally, we see, we saw Joseph's reaction, verse 19. You remember that? That initial reaction of he's like, ah, okay, because I'm a good guy, I'm not gonna like, embarrass her publicly, potentially get her the death penalty. Like, we're not going to do that. But then in verses 24 and 25, we see Joseph's response. So it's one thing to have an initial reaction, but now God has spoken to him. And then we see his response. Okay. It's different than a reaction. Reaction. He responds in obedience. If you look at verse 24 again, it says, then Joseph being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. You see, the picture is that 
Joseph stops dreaming, he jumps out of bed, and he goes right to Mary. The Bible says that he was aroused from sleep. This means he was stirred up. Have you guys ever woken up with like a lot of energy? You know, most of the time I'm really annoyed by those people, but, but there, you know, sometimes it's, it's good, right? You wake up and you're like, let's hit the day. Come on. That's awesome. Yeah, he woke you guys up, right? You're aroused from sleep. Uh, he, you see, Joseph didn't waste another second. You see, for Joseph, it clicked. It made sense for him. He obeyed what the Lord said to do. And the implication is that he does this without hesitation. Do you guys know what hesitation is? right? It's, it's when you hesitate to do something, which I just described a word with the same word. That's awesome. It's, it's when, right, you, you wait, it's like, you're like, mm, like when mom tells you to take out the trash, and you're like, mm. when she tells you to do the dishes and you're like, mm. Well, mm. well, I got to do, mm. right? Yeah. Five minutes later, 10 minutes later, hour later. You see what we see from Joseph is a ready obedience. And I want you to write that down. What we see from Joseph is a ready obedience. See, you and I are to have a ready obedience. We are. When we hear from the Lord, we must not hesitate to obey. You see, we live by faith, trusting God's promises, and we do what he's asked us to do. You see, because Joseph was a just man, he did what was right. He was an obedient man. He believed what the Lord had said through the angel, and he obeyed the instruction. But the amazing thing to me as I, as I ponder this story is that Joseph did know the repercussions. He knew that there would most certainly be consequences to him actually following through. You see, in the public's eye, in his family's eye, the right thing for Joseph to do would be to divorce her, to, get, to not marry her because of what appeared to be her sin. You see, but despite public scrutiny, despite what his family would think, despite how looked upon, down upon his family would, would become, how ashamed they would be in their society and culture as if they had sinned, he had ready obedience. You see, even Jesus, when you begin to read the gospels later on in the gospel of John, and he's battling the Pharisees. Have you guys ever read about that? Right? Joe, right? Jesus is saying this stuff to the Pharisees. They're saying stuff back. He like shuts them down. And it's like totally awesome every time. Well, one of the things that the Pharisees would throw in the face of Jesus, they would, they would talk about his birth. They would talk about his mom. They would say, you, you, were, you, were, you, know, you were born in sin. Because it had appeared even now 33 years into Jesus' life that it was, an, it was a public knowledge that, that it would have appeared that they got pregnant before, right? It would have appeared that they had sinned. Can you put that can away? Thank you. Yet through all this, they knew the truth. They hung on to the promises of God. And what I want you to realize today is that Joseph is a fantastic example of what it looks like to, to be a man who was just in his actions and obedient in his responses. You see, Joseph fit the bill because of his bloodline, but he was chosen because of who he was. 
Make sense? But at the end of the day, Joseph is a great guy. Yes, he is still alive. He's alive in heaven, right? Mary, she's alive, live in heaven. But at the end of the day, guys, it's, it's all about Jesus. What's the last word in chapter one? What's the last word? Someone give it to me. Come on, say it out. Say it like you mean it. Jesus. You see, it's all about Jesus. I love how it ends. Think about it. This chapter gives a whole long list of names and Abraham and David and these great men and even women of God. Yet it's all about Jesus. He he talks about Mary and Joseph, but Jesus is the star of the show, no pun intended. Okay, He, He is the guy. He is our God. And he is what this story is all about. Yes, Joseph and Mary, they played a role but it's a role like you and I. But Jesus would go on to display the biggest and the best role, the purpose for which he came to save us. You know, something I've been thinking about and talking about with my wife is, is think about it. Jesus was born. You and I, we were born, right? And you and I were were born to live. Our purpose is, is so that we, we would live. Even Jesus said, I have come to give life and life more abundantly. But Jesus was born not to live, but his sole purpose for coming and being born was to die. And to die for you and I. And as we look at this story, I want you to remind, remind you that Jesus came at the perfect time. The Bible says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So he came at the perfect time, but he also came in the perfect way. He came as our mediator and our advocate. He came to be our representative. You see, what Jesus has done for you and I is not just reach down from heaven and pull us up, that he came to earth, that the Bible says that he's not ashamed to be called our brethren, that yes, he's our king, he's our our God, yet even in heaven now, Jesus has on his human flesh, and he always, always will. 1 John chapter 2 says this, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the whole world. You see, Jesus was born so that he could die. Die in our place, die for us, and it's so that you and I don't have to. As this is, I know as cliche and cheesy as it sounds, this is the reason for the season. This is what Christmas is all about. That all what we see is representative of him, right? The tree, it's representative of the cross. The gifts that you're gonna receive and give is representative of what the Bible describes as God's indescribable gift. See, I I really hope you guys get a whole bunch of presents in a few days. I, I hope it's a blast for you. I hope you have memories. But it would be a shame if you open all these presents but didn't open the one that God gave you. You see, God gave you his son. He gave you everything. But some of you, 
You've held the present. You've looked at it. You've been even able to give that present maybe to other people. It's very familiar to you. But you've never actually unwrapped it. You've never received it. You see, the Bible says that you and I, to enter into heaven, we must not just believe in Jesus. There's a lot of people who believe in Jesus who are in hell. The Bible says that even demons believe and they tremble. Everyone look at me. There has to come a point that you receive him. Let's make, let's make today that day, all right? Worship team, you can come out. We're gonna close. You can hit the lights. Lord, we, we love you. And Lord, I, I just, we just are so thankful to you for who you are, for what you've done. Oh, Lord, that you'd be willing to come and come to us. Lord, every religion is about man working their way towards you. Lord, but we know that the Bible describes to us that you have come to us and you've offered yourself freely to us. That it is what the Bible would describe as the gift of God, not of works, lest any one of us should boast. Lord, we know that the way to receive you as our king, as our savior, is by faith. It's to simply call upon the name of the Lord. Well, I pray for, for anyone that maybe hasn't done that, that they're very familiar with church. They could even recite the gospel, but for them, they've, they've truly never surrendered. They've never come to that place of receiving you, receiving the gift of, of unwrapping and unboxing. And Lord, I pray today would be that day. And so, guys, as, as we just continue an attitude of prayer and we, we worship together in a moment, if that's you today, if, you, if you've been very familiar with him, but you've never received him, you just call out to him, okay? You tell him. You tell him that you want him. You tell him your sins and what you've done wrong. You tell him that you want him as your savior, as your king, and the Bible says that he's yours and that you are his. And so, God, we, we love you. We receive you now. We worship you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.